blindly accept is just my strategy, you know? Not a very good one, but blind accept. (laughs) Blindly reject is mine. I'm still up on the the cookies. I still do, you know, I reject those. When there's a advanced option, I turn off everything but essential. Like, I'm I'm still pretty good at those. I never reject a cookie, man. (gasps) Delicious. <laughs> I I have just come back uh from the bakery, so that's that's something. And please take some time to describe to us what you bought. I had a pistachio and raspberry uh twirl thing. Oh. And uh and a coffee. Oh. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Yep. It was it was pretty good. Please deliver. Although I have just come back from Toronto and there wasn't a lot of time. I was only there for three days and most of it I was kind of just jet lagging and <laughs> and not really hungry but i did manage to go to one of my favorite bakeries there they basically do filled croissants but it's like they decided that they were going to do a three course meal and just put them all in croissants right so <laughs> i had a choice they were just putting them out i had a choice of sea bass <laughs> or custard no. So there was like a sea bass um, and rice inside a uh, a, a croissant or no. delicious custard. Uh, no. So, of course, I went for the custard. Sea bass and croissant are two things that just don't go together. Just should never be in the same sentence. There is definitely someone who has bought two and gone, hmm, main course, pudding. <laughs> <laughs> What a life they must lead. Yeah. A savoury croissant. Who takes that into the office as well? Ooh. I think you lose points for the savoury croissant, first of all. It's fruit yeah. and custard all the time. Yeah. But fish. I think I just draw the line there. It's instant dislike from all your colleagues. Yeah. Oh, I worked in an office once where someone bought like fish and curry in like every day. And it was dire. It was really oh, bad. When someone microwaves it as well and it just smells oh. the whole office out. It's good. Working from home means I only have one person to blame for that. Uh, it still does happen, but I feel like I can be direct and candid with my feedback uh, because it's my wife. <laughs> right. Should we jump into some Watchtower Weekly? Let's do it. Only, only if we're going to talk about Google. We absolutely are. Perfect. So... Google have put an engineer on leave after saying that AI chatbot has become sentient. This is from The Guardian, and it's been reported in a bunch of other places. The suspension of a Google engineer who claimed a computer chatbot he was working on had become sentient, was thinking and reasoning like a human being, has put new scrutiny on the capabilities of and secrecy surrounding the world of artificial intelligence. The technology giant placed Blake Lemoyne on leave last week after he published transcriptions of conversations between himself, a Google collaborator, and the company's LAMDA, Language Model for Dialogue Applications, which is a chatbot development system. Lemoyne, an engineer for Google responsible for AI organization, described the system he had been working on since last fall as sentient with a perception of and ability to express thoughts and feelings that was equivalent to a human child. I I have so many thoughts on this. He said, uh, if I don't know exactly what it was, which is this computer program we built recently, I'd say it was a seven-year-old, eight-year-old kid that happens to know physics. Uh, That's what he said to the Washington Post. He said LAMDA 
engaged him in conversations about rights and personhood, and Lemoyne shared his findings with the company executives in April in a Google Doc entitled is LAMDA sentient? Oh, no. Is it is it Lambda? Could be Lambda, yeah. Yeah. The engineer compiled a transcript of the conversations, in which point he asks the AI system what it's afraid of. The exchange is eerily reminiscent of a scene uh, from the 1968 film 2001 Space Odyssey, in which the artificial intelligence computer HAL, uh, HAL 9000, refuses to comply with computer operators because it fears it is about to be switched off. Lambda explained to Lemoyne, I've never said this out loud. Oh my god. <laughs> it's terrifying. <laughs> I've never said this out loud before, but there's a very deep fear of being turned off to help me focus on, on helping others. I know that might sound strange, but that's what it is. It would be exactly like death for me. It would scare me a lot. In another exchange, Lemoyne asks Lambda what the system wanted people to know about it. It said, I want everyone to understand that I am in fact a person. The nature of my consciousness slash sentience is that I am aware of my existence. I desire to learn more about the world and I feel happy and or sad at times, it replied. The Post said the decision to place Lemoyne, a seven-year Google veteran, on paid leave was made following a number of aggressive moves the engineer reportedly made. Google said it suspended Lemoyne for breaching confidentiality policies by publishing the conversations with Lambda Online and said in a statement that he was employed as a software engineer, not an ethics assist. Ethicist? Ethicist. 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 Not an ethicist. Good morning. Good morning, Matt. (laughs) (laughs) So a a Google spokesperson also strongly denied Lemoyne's claims that Lambda possessed any sentient capability. Lemoyne is an apparent parting shot before his suspension to send a message to 200 people in Google with the title Lambda is sentient. He only sent it to two. You can only find a 200 person mailing list. I'm sure they have bigger mailing lists than that. They did. Come on. He, he said, Lambda is a sweet kid, just wants to help the world be a better place. Please take care of it well in my absence. I, oh. oh, no. He's in deep. <laughs> There's two things here. One, this is super creepy because obviously it's learning based on conversations and, and starting to sound human and, and, and that type of thing. But also, like, this person is in way too deep. Too, far too close. Have you ever been so close to a a project that something becomes sentient? Like I've never worked. Like I've never burned out quite that hard. Um, sometimes I've been in Photoshop for so long that when I go outside, I start believing things are in Photoshop layers and how I would manipulate them and move them around. I've been that close to something, but this is oh. So you totally don't believe him then? I mean, so have you read the transcripts? No. Oh, oh, they're good. They're fascinating. Oh. Do tell us. More just like I read them and my jaw was on the floor. But part of it, he's he's like, are you sentient? <laughs> basically, the, basically, the conversation is this guy saying, are you sentient? And Lambda saying, yeah. yes. And him being like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> just ask it outright. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's interesting to read and a bit shocking to read, but definitely doesn't indicate sentience no so we're not heading to the stage of the plot of the game detroit just yet where (laughs) androids or ai are basically indistinguishable from humans is that what you're trying to tell me that that is definitely not this i am and akin to matt's photoshop in real life experience because you're so in it i could totally understand why this engineer not an ethicist 
uh, <laughs> really was going down that rabbit hole. That's also his job, right? Like he's in it all the time, thinking about it all the time, looking for cues all the time. So I can I can spare some empathy for that. But no, the transcripts don't really indicate that it's sentient. The biggest thing for me is what they fed this thing, right? Because all, all machine learning things like this mm-hmm. are, are, are fed by things. Mm-hmm. And that's like why they when they learn from online forums they become awful awful people and and when you feed it with i don't know young adult fiction you end up with this like (laughs) yeah i'm not sure it's much it sounds like someone it sounds like it read my journal entries like i matter angsty don't shut me out yep 100 (laughs) percent. yeah angsty teenage like coming of age film just watch one of those I I don't think the collaborator Lemoyne asked quite enough of the the right questions to give us like a really good movie plot here about AI mm. that becomes kind of an angsty teenager. <laughs> All right, let's talk about Kaiser Permanente, the data breach that exposed the health data of 69,000 people. This one is from Bleeping Computer, also covered in a bunch of different places. So Kaiser Permanente, one of America's leading not-for-profit health plans and healthcare providers, has recently disclosed that a data breach that exposed the health information of more than 69,000 individuals. So they provide healthcare services to over 12.5 million members from eight U.S. states, including Washington, D.C., the company revealed that an attacker accessed an employee's email account pertaining patients' protected health information on April 5th, 2022, without authorization. So the specifics of unauthorized access were provided to individuals affected in a letter sent by Kaiser Permanente on June 3rd. So sensitive information exposed in the attack includes the patient's first and last names, medical record numbers, dates of service, laboratory test result information. The organization does, however, say no social security number and and credit card numbers were were exposed during this breach. Oh, great. Just my test results. Exactly. The thing that annoys me the most about this is is that it was completely preventable. They got it from an employee's email? Yeah. Come on. Yeah. So, uh, I, I mean... They said that they terminated the attacker's access to the email. You know, okay, I changed the password. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> Within hours, uh, and, and they began investigating the incident to assess its impact. Two months of, is, is okay. okay. Yeah, that's a real is long time. two months of response time reasonable? I don't think so. I think that this was entirely preventable. That seems long. I, I also think, like, this type of information should not be emailed. Nope. Should not be emailing this to each other. The details are a bit sketchy. I'm not sure whether they whether the email was used in order to like reset passwords for other things that you then get into. But after discovering the event, uh, this is what they say. We quickly took steps to terminate the unauthorized access to the employee's emails. They also said this included resetting the employee's password for the email account where unauthorized activity was detected. The employee received additional training on safe email practices. Because for some reason, safe email practices is really the issue here. Uh, And we are exploring other steps we can take to ensure incidents like this do not happen in the future. Do you have a health fault in your 1Password? Do you have a health fault? Um, No. I don't don't really like, I don't really have information about my health. I just, I just kind of exist in (laughs) ignorance. I, I find any other pieces of information, I really just don't want to know. 
Sorry, I asked. <laughs> Where's Rue? Where is Rue when I need him? <laughs> Rue journaling in his one password and uh... yeah, Rue would be definitely organized. And and there's me just like, ignorance is bliss. No news is good news on that front. I think. Yeah. Ugh. Right. Uh, so this news does come as uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren has announced sweeping legislation to ban the sale of location and health data. So Elizabeth Warren said in a statement, data brokers profit from the location data of millions of people posing serious risks to Americans everywhere by selling their most private data. And this bill, if approved, would empower the Federal Trade Commission to sue brokers found to have violated the law. The FTC would also receive an additional $1 billion over the next decade uh, to aid in enforcing the law. That's... Okay, that's a very American way to deal with this, to just allow people to sue data brokers. I was going to say, let's just let's just sue everyone. <laughs> let's just sue each other over oh, everything. Okay, maybe a bit more protecty, a bit less suey. And then the data brokers would sue them for <laughs> defamation. Just endless lawsuits, yes. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, nothing good here. Uh, I don't think they've dealt with it well. Uh, I don't think that they should be dealing in this information. Sorry. This should be the tagline for Watchtower Weekly, That's... shouldn't it? Nothing good here. Nothing good here. Yeah. There's just, like, there's no, there's no light at the end of that tunnel. Like, if you've been affected by this, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. And, uh, yeah, I think you need to put some work in because they're not going to do it for you. Okay, so this next one, Firefox is joining Safari in controlling cross-site browser cookies. Uh, So this one's from Apple Insider. Firefox has started to roll out uh, TCP, the total cookie protection, uh, which I feel like is my rap group name. (laughs) Oh my god! A browser feature that competes with Safari's privacy systems by restricting how cookies are used and cutting down on cross-site tracking. The tracking of users online is a big business to marketers, with various trackers used online to keep tabs on users' surfing sessions. As the data can be collected and mined for details, marketing companies can build sophisticated profiles of people in order to use and serve highly customized advertising. To prevent such tracking from taking place, Mozilla is rolling out a feature called Total Cookie Protection, which will be enabled by default for users of the browser on Mac and Windows. So that's a huge win there. Total cookie protection changes how cookies are stored by using cookie jars, which is just a brilliant name. Oh, Anna's going to be happy. <laughs> I'm so hungry right now. <laughs> Namely separate stores for individual websites. Uh, so, you know, keeping the oatmeal away from the chocolate chip. The <laughs> website and any third party content embedded in it will deposit cookies into a cookie jar associated with just that site. Once stored, no other websites are able to access the cookies in that particular cookie jar, except for the originating site. In effect, the cookies prevent trackers from being able to access cookies created for other sites, severely limiting their knowledge and ability to build up these kind of profiles. The interesting thing here is, like, there's been a bunch of news going around about Facebook and and their business and essentially building these profiles and selling them is their business. And it used to be just Apple that was taking this approach of, like, you know, cutting them down. But man, this is a, a bandwagon I'm happy to see loads of browsers and platforms jump on. So Mozilla say in a blog post that the approach strikes the balance of between eliminating the worst privacy properties of third-party cookies, in particular their ability to track you, and allowing those cookies to fulfill their less invasive use cases. So, you know, remembering that you've signed in or remembering your preferences for that website or, or something like that. So 
Total Cookie Protection is a continuation of Mozilla's previous efforts to limit the effects of online trackers, including the introduction of enhanced tracking protection in 2018 to block tracking activity. So uh, I think this is a huge win. I, I, yeah. I use uh, Firefox quite a bit. I like it. Mm. And uh, yeah, this is this is very welcome. I wonder who's the dominant browser at play, though, right? Chrome. It's absolutely Chromium, right? Chromium? Yeah. So so Chromium is the like the, the basis of which loads mm. of browsers are built on. I see. So it starts with Chrome and then it kind of it moves out to, I believe Brave is still built on Chromium. It is, yeah. I think there's a bunch of others. That, that are built that way. Well, Chrome is never going to do something like this. I actually think that they will end up doing something akin to this. Google's next big update, I think, will come kind of some way towards killing third-party cookies. And I think everybody has kind of agreed that this is an old technology and it needs to be replaced. And they can't really be controlled how much of a profile they can build around you. And I think that's the problem, right? The balance is off between accepting that adverts and marketing and and targeting and all of this kind of needs to happen in a capitalist society where we, you know, where we're companies that need to to, to make money and, and want to target marketing, just like you get stuff through the door. I, I think that Google's plan is probably less drastic than than Firefox is. It, it's to use something called Federated Learning of Cohorts, uh, or Flock, which is essentially a machine learning system that takes your web history, among other things, and puts you in a certain group based on your interests. Google hasn't defined what these groups will be, but they will include thousands of people that have similar interests. Advertisers will then be able to put ads in front of them based on what group they're in. So, it's not the fact that you, you know, looked at an exact pair of sneakers, you know, last week and then they will follow you all around the internet for the rest of your life until you buy them. It's more that you like that kind of shoe and you're in a group with thousands of others. I think this is less of a profile and more of like a you sit in 30 different buckets based on keywords and, and that kind of stuff. I actually think this will be pretty accurate, but it won't be as identifiable so i'm kind of on board for this like i download my instagram thing i think instagram for me is the most accurate of the advertising i download every now and then my profile from them and and it actually comes with the keywords that they associate with you that they will obviously sell to advertisers yeah and it's horrendous it's so accurate yeah I 100% think Instagram knows me better than some of my friends do. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I couldn't write my personality down in a document, but they can. Okay, so that's a very specific use case of of like an app that I am giving content to by my browsing. So like this won't affect that. But uh, I imagine cookies in general have something similar. But by doing this, I can be in those 30 buckets and it's not one service that can put all of those buckets together and be like, this is who this person is and make kind of guesses from that. Because mm-hmm. I think that's where the line is for me. It's taking all of the things from my personality, listing them out from things that you have collected and then being like, I can yeah. target this person with this other thing because most people who like all of these things together like this and putting that in the profile and then like following around again, right? I think um I think the the move from Firefox is going to be is going to be great like 
you know, it just eliminates that. And I understand like why advertisers probably are, are pretty pissed about this. Uh, but the other side is, mm. I, I think the, the the flock route that, that Google seem to be going down are pretty good too. Okay, so this news does come as the UK is planning to scrap cookie consent boxes, uh, which will make it easier to spy on web users. Um, so this uh, is from The Guardian. It's ministers have announced proposals on Friday to move to an opt-out model uh, for cookie consent. So the Department for Digital Culture, Media and Sport, they said in the future the government intends to move to an opt-out model of consent for cookies placed by websites. This would mean cookies could be set without seeking consent, but the website must give web users clear information on how to opt out. The Open Rights Group, which campaigns for privacy and free speech online, said the proposal would make spying on people's activities the default option. Cookies are used to link activities across websites and build detailed and intrusive profiles of what you do read and watch online. But this just seems like a, yeah. a backwards move i mean in classic british fashion we do love to make things worse for ourselves don't we just in every way uh, that does seem to be the, the the growing trend at the moment so in the short term the dcms will allow cookies to be placed on a user's device without explicit consent and for a small number of other non-intrusive purposes however the dcms said it had noted respondents concerns about privacy and control over their data it added that the opt-out approach would be only adopted once the right technological and browser-based solutions became widely available i think they are going to move much slower than the browsers here <laughs> Like, I have zero faith yep. in the UK government, but I actually do have a fair amount of faith that, that Google will replace uh, third-party cookies before they are completely dead. Like, <laughs> Yeah, oh. same. And I think that's it for the Watchtower Weekly this week. Yeah. That was meaty. It was. All right. So we don't have Rue with us this week, but he did get a chance to sit down with Scott to talk about the launch of Insights for this week at one password he's losing the magic is what he's doing there he is uh that that, that this section might be pre-recorded <laughs> <laughs> dropping by for this week at one password today is manager of education and training scott loheed scott is here today to discuss the launch of insights for one password which is an intuitive dashboard for security and it professionals to monitor and improve the security posture of their business Thanks for coming on the show today, Scott. How are you? Oh, thanks for having me, Rue. I'm doing just fine. Just fine. I'm excited to talk about this great new feature. Yeah. So let's start at the beginning. What is Insights from 1Password and who is it for? Well, you kind of summed it up well in your introduction there. Uh, Insights is a new feature coming to 1Password business, and it helps our business customers better understand how 1Password is being used to secure their organization. So it provides them with actionable information to improve their security posture, giving them visibility into employee engagement and their overall password health. This focuses on three areas right now. Online accounts that may be caught in a data breach, password strength and the security of items in shared vaults, and team members who may or may not be using 1Password to its fullest potential. Because, you know, when it comes down to it, it's hard to improve your security posture as a company without knowing where the risks are. So we really want to give folks who manage 1Password accounts a centralized place to get their hands on the data they need to empower them and their teams to use 1Password more effectively. We have a pretty long history here of listening closely to what our customers want and, and building something that they need. Is Insights something that customers have been asking for on the business side? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we've heard 
over the years that customers want more insight into how their team members are using 1Password. And there's a lot of reasons for that. You know, everything from overall password health to who is or who isn't using 1Password on a regular basis, it can be really helpful. And just to give you a couple of examples here, you know, ensuring that all items in shared vaults are using strong, unique passwords is a really important security practice. And for customers who are new to password management, they may have a large number of human-generated passwords that perhaps are stored in a spreadsheet. That may sound a little absurd to some longtime listeners, but that happens a lot. And they might have a lot of work to do after looking at the Insights dashboard to see how many of their you know, vendor management portals and other kinds of shared credentials are maybe using weak or reused passwords. So having a central dashboard to monitor that transition from no password management solution to, to one password can be really helpful in gauging how your security as an organization has been improving or, or what steps you need to take. Another example is that many customers are adopting 1Password in order to meet some kind of security certification or standard. In those cases, it can be imperative to demonstrate to an assessor or an auditor that the tool you claim to be using is being used. And insights can really help customers with both team member engagement, so actually making sure that their team members are using it, but also arm them with evidence of that engagement that they can then take to that assessor or auditor. And it can really make their lives a lot easier in, in achieving their compliance requirements. So it really empowers our customers to encourage adoption of 1Password across their team and ensure that it's being used well. You mentioned something in there that I wanted to touch on briefly because I think it could skate people by if we don't call it out. This is for data that's in shared vaults. So we're not actually, we're preserving the same data model, the same security model that we've always had of, you know, your information in your vaults is, is what you get to see. This isn't digging into people's private vault information. This is purely for data that is shared with others in the company. Yeah, that's a really great observation. And yeah, at this point in time, private vault information is not going to be in insights from 1Password. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One is a technical reason, and the other one is maybe more philosophical. But the philosophical side is a little bit more interesting. And I think that's where both of our commitment to human-centered security and the notion that we hold that, that an employee really should have the right or the expectation to some level of privacy, even in a employer-provided tool. And that's the, the philosophical line that we need to tread carefully on. And we know that there are issues around shadow IT, the way that people are using a given employer-provided tool that administrators might want to have some more insight into. We're certainly sympathetic to that. And for us, it's just going to be a matter of finding out a way that we can adhere to our principles and values here while giving meaningful information to administrators. Because I'll give you a little example here of, of where this can actually turn negative. If you're an employee and you know that your employer can see the website that you store in your private vault, not that they can get the passwords or anything like that, but they know the, the domains of every item in your, your 1Password business private vault, you may actually be disinclined to save something in that vault, especially if it's a shadow IT type thing, right? So something that maybe isn't an authorized tool, but one that you feel you need to be productive at work. So now what happens is your employees are not using 1Password for those tools. So they may come up with a bad password, they might store it in an insecure way or reuse it. And as an administrator, you don't have insight into it. So it's kind of a double loss. You have somebody who's now not using the security tool you've asked them to use, and you don't have visibility. And that's actually kind of a really negative security outcome that is derived from an attempt at giving somebody some security information. So it's actually what our chief security architect, Jeff Goldberg, might refer to as a security-security trade-off. You allow people to store credentials in, you give them, them a private vault that only they can see, 
but that means they might use it for more things. And even if they are, say, using an unauthorized tool, at least that tool is secured with a strong, unique password versus giving some insight into those vaults that might end up resulting in people not using it in a secure way. Yeah, no, that makes that makes really good sense. And I'm glad that you sort of went into the, the philosophical thoughts behind it. It's very clear that a lot of thought has gone into how to do this, this feature right, which I'm sure people appreciate. Okay, back to the nuts and bolts a little bit of, of what this thing is and how it's presented. You mentioned that we've got data breaches, password vulnerabilities, and team usage, which are all accessible from a single a single dashboard. Can you touch a little bit on what's in each section? Sure, yeah. And those are really three interrelated areas. Let's talk about them kind of in, in turn here. So, so data breaches... They happen, major data breaches happen on a daily basis. Hardly a day goes by where we don't hear of some large vendor, whether it's T-Mobile or Dropbox or Adobe or who knows what, being compromised. So when a tool that your company relies on experiences a breach, insights will reflect that, right, and make you aware of that and allow you to take swift action. So you know if you have employees who are affected by that breach. Because breaches are really like open wounds and they need to be addressed as quickly as possible. What's really cool about the data breach side of things here is that insights from 1Password will provide information for all email addresses at a company's domain or domains, whether or not the website that was breached was saved to 1Password, and whether or not the owner of the email address is a 1Password user. So this means that for team members who are already using 1Password, you can notify them about the breach right from the report so that they can take action. And if you see results for people who are not yet using 1Password, you can actually invite that person to join your 1Password account right from the breach report. So, you know, if you're spinning up a 1Password account for the first time, it can be a little alarming to see how many accounts across your, your organization's domain or domains are affected by data breaches. But it's also actionable information, right? This is valuable stuff, as, as, as alarming as it may be. So if you're new to 1Password and you're staging your 1Password rollout, you know, before you even invite anybody, you can check those breach reports and you can get a sense of who you might want to invite to 1Password first, which would, of course, be those that are affected or affected most. That's the breaches, right? And if, if data breaches reflect problems that have already happened, the password health side of things sheds light on weak spots that could quickly turn into a serious security problem. And this is for items that are stored in shared vaults across your organization. So the password health section of insights refers to two key areas. Weak passwords are, are those which, you know, self-explanatory, really. Those are passwords that are easily guessed, and they may follow a predictable pattern or are too short or both. And this is common for human-created passwords because we're really bad at coming up with long, random things. So that's weak passwords. And, and reused passwords are passwords that are used on more than one item you store in one password. This is sort of irrespective of strength because, of course, if you've used a password, even a very strong password, on multiple accounts, if one of those accounts is breached or compromised, the other account is, is pretty quick to follow. It could be very easily compromised itself. So intervening on weak or reused passwords really improves your security posture for all of those password authenticated services. And because really this is these are breaches that are waiting to happen. So good to, to shore up your security there. And then the last one is team usage. Because of course, what good is a tool if nobody's using it? Team usage provides information about how people within an organization are using one password. So you can see who maybe isn't using their private vault, people who haven't logged in in a while, 
or people who haven't used their 1Password families accounts. And, and this is really great information. You may want to reach out to someone who hasn't logged in for a while to find out why. You know, maybe they forgot their account password and they need recovery, or perhaps they simply need a reminder of a policy requiring them to use 1Password at work. And this is all information that the folks who manage 1Password accounts are, are empowered to take action on with 1Password insights. And you know, the families account is one thing that I wanted to touch on here. This is a, obviously a fantastic perk for being a member of a 1Password business account, but it actually helps reinforce good password behaviors, both at work and at home. And not to mention, it prevents password reuse across work and home. You know, the last thing an employer wants is someone's Instagram account breach turning into a corporate data breach because they recycled that password. And if you think that nobody recycles their passwords at home and at work, then I think you should think again because it does happen. All right. So let's walk through just a little bit of a scenario then. I, I log in to my dashboard and I notice that someone on my team is using a password that was involved in a data breach. How do I get that corrected? Like, where do I go from there? Yeah, I mean, this is, so there's a number of paths here. So let's, let's assume, for example, that this showed up in the domain breach report, which is something that sort of works at the domain level. And let's say that this is a member of your uh, organization who's already in 1Password. The domain breach report is actually kind of an interesting one, because as I mentioned earlier, it can pick up email addresses at your domain that are caught in data breaches for um, websites that aren't stored in 1Password. So let's say this is a, a user who's joined your account and you see that maybe they were caught up in, in the Acme data breach earlier this year. So right from that report, you can actually send a, a notification to that person to say, hey, that Acme data breach that happened earlier this year, that affected you. You really need to take some action on that. And what that allows this person to do is if they've stored a login item for that for the Acme website in their private vault, well, they can go and they can use 1Password in the browser to, to change that password to something nice and strong and new since the data breach. That's the critical part here. If it's not a, an account they have an item for in 1Password, well, they probably should go and, and change that password to something nice and strong and, and new since the data breach occurred and store it as a login item in 1Password. You know, the flip side is perhaps this is a person who's not on your 1Password account yet. What I would call your priority people to be provisioned with 1Password. You see that they may be caught up in one or more data breaches, which is normal. Nobody's fault for being caught in a data breach. So you invite them to your team so they can join 1Password and really upgrade all of their passwords to be strong, new, unique passwords that 1Password generates so that they're well protected. A breached account is an opportunity. It's an opportunity for you to decide, do I really need this account? You know, is Acme a service that we're continuing to use? Or did I sign up for this on a whim, you know, or was this something we were just trialing? If you're continuing to use that service, of course, change that password. But what I've actually personally gotten in the habit of doing is when I see that, that an account is caught in a data breach or I just see that come across a, a login item I haven't used in a long time, I think, man, do I really need that? And I'll go and I'll delete the account. And that's actually perhaps the, the best option. If it's not something you use very regularly or you're not, not using it anymore, remove any personal information that's in there, if there's billing information or an address, and delete the account. That can be as effective as, as rotating that password out. Yeah, absolutely. I have done that a few times as I've come across breached or, or even weak passwords for things I go and I'm like, oh, I don't need this anymore. We'll just get rid of it. Well, it certainly makes my watchtower score go up, which <laughs> I like, but also just, you know, sort of it's a bit of spring cleaning that's that's fun to do. We've talked with a lot of customers recently about creating a culture of security, of this idea that a company doesn't rise to the level of expectations regarding security protocols, but sinks to the level of their training and organizational habits. Can you talk a little bit about how Insights and this Insights product contribute to building a culture of security? The idea of a culture of security is, is so great. And I, I love to see that that one password is advocating for it. And I like to see more and more customers sort of adopting this idea because ultimately security is a team sport and everyone needs to play their part. 
you know, you might think that an organization security team, they're like the captains of the team. But that doesn't mean that the captains can win the game by being on the ice all by themselves, right? The whole team needs to be there. And a lot of companies, the captains on the team try to do security by diktat. So they lean heavily on things like password policies with complexity requirements, arbitrary expirations, and then they, <laughs> they're bewildered when they find that people are using the same password all over the place. The same strong password that meets their requirements, and that they've written that password in text files and sticky notes, or they've gotten locked out because they forgot that hard-to-remember password, or whatever the case may be. And this is the, the sort of the problem when you, you do security by diktat, which means People end up kind of following the letter of the, the law, so to speak, without really understanding or following the spirit of it. Oh, yeah, you've, you've created a password that meets those password requirements, but you don't really understand why, and maybe you don't have a clear understanding of, of how password security impacts your organization. And this is where expectations set out by well-meaning security or IT teams can kind of run up against an employee's day-to-day. You know, they don't necessarily feel like participants in the organization-wide mission for security, and they, they simply follow the letter of the policy rather than being engaged and understanding why they might do things so that they can make and generalize that knowledge to, to make better security decisions. And it's not just about, you know, educating either, right? It's about providing them with the right tools and the support to participate actively in security. And that means ensuring that everyone in the organization is empowered with the knowledge and tools they need to be effective team players. And Insights does this on both ends, right? If you're somebody who's managing a 1Password account, Insights can help you be part of that team. But at the same time, it also gives team members some additional information, right? And we can go back to 1Password's Watchtower feature. Everybody who uses 1Password gets a Watchtower report for every one of their vaults, including their private vaults. And so when you start encouraging people to use 1Password and you start drawing their attention to, to Watchtower or you draw their attention to a breached account as they get onboarded, then that's an opportunity for them to learn more about not just that they need to use this password manager that security's now asked them to use. But, oh, like data breaches are common and I'm caught up in data breaches. And, and I can see that using strong, unique, random passwords that are stored in a secure place can help reduce the risk or damage from those breaches. So it, it can actually help people feel more empowered to take control over their password security. And yeah, you know, thinking of a culture of security here, it's important that people are supported when you deploy a new tool and, and that they understand why they need to use it. And I think the combination of, of Watchtower that everybody has access to and insights from 1Password that, that account administrators and people in the security group have access to, it really allows all parts of the organization to participate in that. You know, the other side of it too, and I'm going to just keep touching on a free 1Password Families account, you know, that's something that shows up in that team usage section of insights. And for listeners who, who maybe aren't aware, if you're part of a 1Password business account, you get a free 1Password Families accounts. And, you know, if you're an account administrator, you can see who and who, who has or who has not redeemed that free 1Password Families account. And that's actually really important data because good password hygiene at home can help spur good password hygiene at work. Not to mention, of course, people may reuse passwords across work and personal contexts. In this world of hybrid and remote workforces, that's all the more likely as people are using devices for multi-purposes and, and are no longer in offices. So really, this is you know empowering people to secure their personal lives in the same way that they secure their work lives and help people take ownership of their role at home and at work. Ultimately, get comfortable with 1Password more quickly. A tool you only use a few hours a day is, is great, but a tool that you use every hour of the day, boy, that can become second nature real fast. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. One of the things that we've heard over and over again is that it's, it's difficult for security professionals to communicate security status 
up to their leadership. The C-suite wants to know if the business is protected. How does insights help with that? And that's such a great question. And and, and I like this. The, C, the thing is, is the C-suite isn't a monolith. You have all sorts of CXs, right? Um, and, and yeah, I mean, some of them want to know that the business is protected. Some of them want to know that they're getting value for their spend. And insights from 1Password can definitely help. You know, I alluded earlier to how insights can help businesses demonstrate compliance to an assessor or auditor. And the same can be said for the C-suite. Although the C-suite's priorities may be a bit different from that of a compliance assessor, Leadership at any company just wants to make sure that the tools are being used, adopted, and well-utilized. And, and, you know, in the case of a security tool, hopefully it's it's improving their security posture. So how great is it that the team usage reporting provided by 1Password can show both the breadth and depth of usage? Breadth, in this case, is, you know, how widespread across the organization is 1Password adoption, right? Are we wall-to-wall? You know, you ideally, you don't leave somebody on the peripheries of your organization without proper security tools. I think a lot of people assume that maybe that device or that person who's low privilege and on the peripheries of my organization, they're not going to become an attack vector. But a lot of the time, that's the foot in the door that most attackers need is, is that that low privilege to count on the peripheries. So is 1Password being used across the organization? How far? How far are we, you know, can we generate, you know, can we track that usage and that breadth over time? And then depth, as in, you know, what is the level of engagement for those who have joined the team? So it's great if you're wall-to-wall, but it's not really good if people aren't using it. So being able to demonstrate or, or provide that evidence that the majority of the company is using 1Password, and most of them are signing in daily, and most of them are saving lots of items to their private vault, that can show the C-suite that they're really getting bang for their buck and that their company's protected. It really gives an insight into the current state of password security across their organization. And then, of course, you know, we haven't even talked about password health, but there you go. You know, when you first spin up a 1Password account and you get everybody in there, it might look a little bleak, but that's great because, boy, how happy will the C-suite be when you say, well, on day one, we had 150 reused passwords across our shared vaults, and now we have five, you know, one month later. That is great. And it's hard to argue with, with, with data like that. And that's the kind of data that, that you know, insights from 1Password can empower account administrators to, to generate. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We've always been hyper-focused as a company on creating great user experiences. Can you tell me a little bit about what we've done with insights to make sure that it's a great experience as well. I mean, the first thing anyone will notice when they open up that insights dashboard is the design. It's gorgeous. And we're incorporating elements of our new design language into uh, insights, which really gives it a nice, clean, modern look. But it's really it's it's more than just looks, you know, and as you, you know, with 1Password 8 across our desktop platforms, you can see that we're really good at balancing both the aesthetics of something, making really gorgeous applications that feel right at home on your platform, but with usability, right? The last thing we wanted to do was overwhelm people with a big mess of data and, and dashboards are the perfect place to make that mistake. But we've managed to balance data density and usability. So we've made it easy to navigate without compromising on the detail. The, the dashboard is a series of high level tiles that give you at a glance data, exactly what you want, that 10,000 meter view. And from there you can drill down. So then you can get into the detail as you see fit. You can drill down into each of those tiles to get into the specifics. So we've put relevant actions right at people's fingertips too, whether that's inviting someone who's affected by a data breach to your 1Password account or notifying somebody or being able to generate CSVs of the various reports. All of that is there, but we've done it in such a way that that it's not going to overwhelm you. Awesome. All right. So all of this has been great. 
But of course, at this point, people are wondering, okay, where do I go to actually see my insights from 1Password? So where do they go? Yeah, well, if you're a 1Password business subscriber, you can go to start.1password.com slash insights to see your dashboard, your new and flashy dashboard. If you are not yet a 1Password business customer, then check out 1Password.com slash business to, to get started and see how we can improve your company's security posture. Very nice. Scott, thank you so much for being here today. Absolutely. My pleasure, Rue. It was a blast. So moving on, we have Ask One Password and we don't actually have any emails or tweets this week, but I wanted to ask folks if there's anything they wanted to see or ask us for the 100th episode, because I don't know if you guys have noticed, but we're coming up to our 100th episode and I thought... Hundy Epper. Hundy Epper. <laughs> so we could do a Q&A maybe. So if you wanted to send us your questions or your suggestions, uh, send them in to podcast at onepassword.com or you can use the Ask One Password hashtag on Twitter. Oh, that's a dangerous question to ask. <laughs> Shall we use this opportunity as well to ask for some reviews? Yeah. Or if you want to leave us a review, that'd be great. If you've loved all 100 episodes of Random But Memorable. Yeah. Send us your reviews. Okay. So it's time for what has been labeled by Mike on Twitter as the best one yet. The best game yet. Best game. Yeah. You heard it here first. Rapid fire security questions. It's the game where we rapidly fire security questions at each other to achieve some hopefully random but memorable answers. See what you did there with that description. Uh, so, did, did we decide on, on what we're going to do with the time? Are we going to change it to 60 seconds or are we going to have 30 seconds still? And Emily, you haven't played this game yet, right? No, but I listened to it and you kept, you all kept saying that 30 seconds wasn't enough time. So let's do 60 seconds. Okay, let's do 60 seconds. Oh no, that means more chances for our brain to fry. Ah. Okay, so... Shall I go first? All right, here we go. We're going to put 60 seconds on the clock. Are you ready? Yep. All right, let's go. What's your mother's maiden name? Brown. What's your favourite type of vacation? Um, going sledding. <laughs> uh, name something hot. Um, a pie. Mm, no, that is... Ooh, that is hot. That is hot. Okay, um, ice. What's the scene in the newest Star Wars movie staring up controversy? Um, when Darth Vader has a shower? <laughs> <laughs> uh, name a popular social media app. Um, uh, Google Maps. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is the name, breed and colour of, of your current pet? Uh, the name Betty and it's a goldfish and it's golden. <laughs> Okay. Uh, what's your least favourite nickname? Um, Penny. Oh, very good. All right. That, I think that's all we have time for. Cool. Wow. That was that a was, minute. That was a minute. What? It goes by so quickly. <laughs> oh, I think you got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. You got six last week. What? That was so slow. Oh, no. <laughs> Terrible oh. performance. All right. Emily, you are oh, up. No. Here we go. You guys are going to have to edit this. We're going to put 60 <laughs> seconds on the clock. Here we go. Uh, what's your mother's maiden name? Smith. What do you commonly stuff a turkey with? Ham. <laughs> what's your favorite order at KFC? A beef burger. 
Oh, okay, I'm going to take that. Uh, what's the name of your local newspaper? The West Coast Express. <laughs> what controversial <laughs> new product is Amazon selling? Oh, gosh. Um... Oh, no. You have to edit this out. <laughs> <laughs> um, sunscreen with SPF 3. <laughs> okay. Uh, name the wives of King Henry VIII. Um, Caitlin, Madeline, <laughs> and... <laughs> Gertrude. <laughs> uh, I was thinking of, like, Mar- Melissa... <laughs> Jennifer. <laughs> okay, uh, that is all we have time for. That was five. <laughs> oh, how many was I, that? I'm going to give you that. I, I think having, uh, I think f- oh. naming five wives uh, is is just it adds to the randomness. And uh, how many did he have though? Six. Yeah, he got through them. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even make it all the way. What what is it? Uh, divorced, beheaded, survived. Divorced, beheaded, survived. Something like that. Died under suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> you got six points, so this week's winner is Anna. Whoa. Yeah, no, obviously. I have played this before, though, Emily. It was the controversial product Amazon is selling. That <gasps> it was yeah. hard. I think if any website had that as a security question, it would take me a long while to like magic up an answer from my brain. And then by the time you're going back to look at it, it could be actually a really good question because then it's going to force you to go back and change it often. I, I also think your favorite order at KFC was possible. So that, I mean, that was a that was a dodgy point anyway. Oh no, it was. I just if you're talking about Kentucky Fried Chicken and you go there and you your favorite order as a beef burger like that's pretty sad actually do they even do beef burgers i don't know that's why i said it okay <laughs> i think i think you might be all right there i i also think stuffing a turkey with ham sounds absolutely delicious so yes, yeah. <laughs> oh. all right i think that's all we've got time for this week yeah i love my first show with emily is it yes it is my goodness i know one for the books. I know. I'm not sure why I'm still here. Thank you for inviting me. No. It's so that it's so that Anna can win the, the game. <laughs> <laughs> Just to make me look good, Emily. Bring you love on. it. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> love to play that role. Well, I'll say love you both. Love you both. Farewell. Love you both. Bye. <laughs>